Now, as Lori mentioned, it is wedding season. We just got done with graduation season. There's been a lot of invitations flying around. You've probably had to RSVP, maybe, a time or two. And it makes an introduction pretty easy because we're going to read what I think is Jesus' most beautiful invitation today. But it's not his only one. Jesus gave lots of invitations during his life. Uh, In the book of John, Jesus' first words to some guys who would become his disciples but weren't yet, um, Jesus asked them, what do you want? Or what are you looking for? And they asked him, well, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. What do you want? Come and see. There's an invitation. He invited uh, multiple people with the words, follow me. Some did, some didn't. But that's an invitation. He invited a guy named Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm supposed to be at your house today. He even invited a dead guy named Lazarus to come forth out of a tomb. That was an invitation. Lots of invitations from Jesus' life. You could say, I think rightly, that Jesus is God's invitation to a world to be reconciled to God. You could say that the Bible is God's written invitation to mankind. In fact, God ordained that this collection of books we call the Bible ends with an invitation. In the book of Revelation, just before John adds some concluding remarks, John records this invitation, and the Spirit and the bride say, what? Come. That's an invitation. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who wants it take the water of life free of charge. That's how our Bible basically closes. It's an invitation. But like I said, I think today we read Jesus's, in my opinion now, this is the, his most beautiful invitation, maybe his most famous one. comes at the end of today's passage. But that invitation uh, is sort of the punchline to a, to a setup. We'll see what I mean as we go through. Let's read our passage today. It ends with that invitation, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 and 30. Let me read this way. Then he, that's Jesus, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre, or Tyre, or Tyre, and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes." Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Verse 23, and you, Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. 
Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father. Verse 28, here's the invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the invitation, the setup, and the beautiful invitation. And I want to answer three questions today. I want you to be able to answer three questions by the time you leave here this morning. The first one is this, do we really need to respond to God, like personally? Do we need to RSVP directly to God? Or can I just, can I go through life and sort of not pay too much attention to God and be okay when I get to the end if I'm good enough? Do I really need to deal directly with God? Do I need to RSVP to His invitation? If so, how do I do that? That's in this passage. And then third, what does doing that do for me? What is RSVPing? What does responding correctly to God do for someone like you or like me? That's the three questions we want to answer today. Do we need to RSVP to God's invitation? If so, how? And then what does that do for us? And we start in verses 20 through 24. We won't go through these uh, word for word. But this is where, in these verses, we can see the the answer is yes. We had better figure out how to respond correctly to God. And we, 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 we see this in here. In these five verses, what Jesus does, he pronounces woe on three cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And When Jesus says woe to these cities, he's not trying to stop a horse. It's not that kind of woe. This is different. This is, he's he's pronouncing doom sort of mixed with pity. Woe to you means you're headed for something really, really awful. It's coming. These are three cities, though the first three, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. These are contemporary towns in Jesus' day where he uh, worked, where he um, ministered, where he did miracles, where he taught. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning here, when, Jesus, when he pronounces woe on these cities, it doesn't mean every single individual in the town is doomed. Because every one of them can respond to the invitation Jesus will give. He's saying prevalent society, prevalent opinion hasn't RSVP'd correctly to God and they're headed for doom. But when he says, come to me at the end and offers an invitation, any individual can RSVP correctly. We know everyone in those towns is not doomed because some of the disciples are from those towns. Some of the disciples are from Capernaum and they're not doomed. Why are these towns doomed? Well, in, this, in these five verses, Jesus says they didn't repent. 
I try, I underline those, you can't see it very well. Jesus began criticizing, verse 20 says, very openly the cities in which he's done these miracles. Why? Because they did not repent. Whatever RSVPing to God means, and we will talk about that, repentance is a part of that. You've got to repent to respond correctly. More on that in a minute. Now, in pronouncing doom on these cities, he mentions three other cities that really, the, the, the two sets of three don't mean too much to us. So I want to explain the difference. Jesus says, you three, you three cities, Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, that I've been running around in doing my miracles and teaching, you're going to have it worse than Tyre, or Tyre, and Sidon, and Sodom. Now, there's no wonder that from here on out, the, the opposition to Jesus gets a lot more direct. Because if you could go back in time, and in first century Israel, tell somebody, I think you and your town are worse in God's eyes than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, they would not like you very much. Uh, All three of those cities are cities God has already pronounced judgment on in the Old Testament. The first two, Tyre, 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 and, and Sidon, in the book of Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to pour out judgment on you. Because they opposed God's people, they hated God's people and God's plans. And so they deserved God's judgment, and every Jew agreed. Every Israelite agreed. The people of the three cities that he pronounced woes on, though, they, they weren't enemies of God. And Sodom is like the poster town for wickedness. Okay? The three cities Jesus is pronouncing woe on, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, those are good Jewish towns. Love God. They're not, as far as on the scale of wickedness, if we put Sodom on the scale and put Capernaum on the scale... Everyone would have thought, boy, we're better people than those people. So whatever it means to RSVP, to God's invitation, here's why it's important. Because we can tell from the woes he pronounced, you're going to have it worse in the day of judgment than these three cities that were full of wicked people who hated God and hated God's people and opposed God's plans. You're going to have it worse than them. You're worse in God's eyes than them. They had to say, but wait a minute. We're like better people than them. If Jesus makes anything clear here, it's not that the good people escape God's judgment and the bad people fall under God's judgment. The difference between the two, set, two sets of towns is not one's good and one's bad. One group, Jesus, they, none of them repented. That's the problem. None of them repented. Another thing we see here, again, Jesus says, not everyone will face the same punishment in eternity. People who have heard the clearest invitation and refuse to RSVP will have it worse from people who never heard. That's what this says. Jesus said, you know how wicked people in Sodom were, right? Yeah. They didn't get the invitation you got. That's why you are going to have it worse than them unless you accept the invitation I'm going to give you today. That's the point of those first verses. So, so far, here's what we know. 
Repentance is part of RSVPing to God's invitation. And we better figure out what that means and what our responsibility is for that. Because whoever doesn't repent faces a terrible judgment that Jesus says is woeful. Is woeful. People really, really need to RSVP, respond positively to God's invitation. But what's it mean? How do we do that? That's the, that's the rest of the passage till we get to the invitation. How do we repent? How do we respond correctly, RSVP, yes, to God? A few steps in that. First, in verses 25 and 26, we learn that to RSVP to God's invitation, one must admit complete dependence upon God. I'll say this another way. To RSVP to God's invitation, you have to admit complete hopelessness on your own before God. Here's, here's how I see that in these two verses. Jesus has just pronounced woe on these cities and made clear the people in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum were headed for God's judgment because they hadn't responded correctly. It's not that they were worse than the first three cities. They just had the invitation and hadn't responded correctly. And immediately after telling that story, Jesus turns to his father in public prayer and he prays this prayer. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why? Because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and you've revealed these things to little children. Yes, Father, that was your gracious will. What's Jesus talking about? His point is, people in these three doomed cities didn't get it. They didn't get the point. They saw my, heard my teachings, they saw my miracles, and they didn't respond correctly. Why? Because, Jesus says, you've hidden stuff, that you've hidden the point from the wise and intelligent and repealed them to, revealed those things to little children. Now, is this an age, is this Is this literal what Jesus is saying here? No. (laughs) This is figurative language. Here's how we know. Smart people are not excluded from heaven. Right? Wise, smart, intelligent people. Right? If you got a 30 on the ACT, uh, first of all, you're kind of weird, I'm just saying. But you're not excluded from heaven. Anybody get a 30 on the ACT here? I didn't think so. Um, Uh, This is not really about age. Jesus is drawing a contrast between two different kinds of people, and it's not about age. The the word he uses for little children here, your Bible might say babes, which is probably a better translation. Babies would be the best translations. The Greek is really small children. Babies, even though on the screen I have like preschoolers. And the biggest contrast between wise and intelligent people and babies is not uh, intelligence. It's not that babies are dumb, right? They're not developed. You know what the biggest contrast is? Babies are helpless. 100% of the time, if you put a, leave a baby by himself, he will die. 100% of the time. They need, they're dependent upon someone else for their very survival. 
Right? You can't put a newborn by himself, and when he starts getting sick and malnourished, go, what are you, stupid? Right? That's ridiculous, because this is not really about intelligence. It's about self-sufficiency and helplessness. Wise and intelligent people, on the other hand, are people who can figure out how to take care of themselves. Right? Now, spiritually speaking, Jesus' point is there's no one who can take care of themselves. Jesus says these, these doomed cities who didn't repent, they didn't change their mind in ways that works its way out and change behaviors, they, they didn't repent, they didn't respond. Why? Because they think they can take care of themselves before God. And Jesus says a person like that will never get it. They'll never get it. You, the Father, Jesus says, you've hidden the point from people who think they can do it all by themselves. The only people you reveal the point to are people who first come to understand that before God, eternally speaking, I'm completely helpless, like an infant, trying to survive in this world. Again, It is not the bad people who go to hell and the good people who go to heaven. Good and bad have nothing to do with it. The proud people who think I'll be fine because I'm better than my neighbor, I'll be good enough, every single person like that is headed for doom. Woe to them. The only people who have a chance are people who have first come to understand, man, I can, if it's up to me, I'm lost. I'm helpless before God. That's the first part of the RSVP to God's invitation. The first step is understanding me surviving eternally before God on my own without help would be like a six-day-old baby survive, like going out and getting a job and fending for himself. It's ridiculous. No one gains salvation until he first understands he's completely unworthy and unable to gain salvation on his own. So, so far, it's really important to RSVP correctly to God's invitation. That was the first slide. Second, before I can do that correctly, I have to understand that I'm completely helpless before God. If He doesn't save me, I'm doomed. When I understand that much, to RS, in verse 27, we learn that to RSVP to God's invitation, we have to go through Jesus. Here's how we see this in verse 27. It reads this way in New English Translation. All things have been handed over to be my by Father, Jesus says. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal to him. I like to point, this is a bit of a side note for one second, I like to point out places where Jesus calls himself God in ways you, you don't really see it at first, just in case some really nice people knock on your door and have a conversation with you and don't believe that Jesus really is fully God. Um, and that happens a lot. Um, Jesus calls himself God really clearly here. Here's how. He says, All things have been handed to me by my Father. How many things? 
all things, all of God's control, all of God's sovereignty, all of God's judgment, all things have been handed to Jesus. We'll see in a couple weeks, he put some of those all things on hold for 33 years when he came to earth. But all things have been handed to me by my father. That's a pretty big job for a traveling Jewish rabbi. Wouldn't you agree? Who's seen the movie Bruce Almighty? You ever see that with Jim Carrey? And he decides he could do a better job than God. And so God gives him a chance to try and he gets overwhelmed pretty quickly because it's a big job being God. And the point is, who can be God except God? Who could, who could be in control of all things except God? If you could handle being in control of all things, you'd have to be God. Jesus said, that's me. I can handle all things. Next he says this, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Now he's not saying people can't get to know me and people can't get to know God. He says, at the end, he says, anyone that I decide to reveal God to will get to know God. But here's why this is calling him God. Just logically answer this question. You think you can fully grasp and understand and know all there is to know about God? There's no chance, right? He's infinite. He's too big. You, you can't get it all in your brain. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, where he says that, that God has seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, so that, and catch this, so that in the ages to come, God might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. One little aspect of God, one part of God's character is his grace and his kindness. How long is it going to take you and I as saved people to learn all there is to know about God's uh, grace and kindness? Ages and ages and ages. I don't believe there'll ever be a point in all of eternity where any of us who will always be humans, we're not going to be turned into angels, despite what you heard at the last funeral you went to. We're never going to grasp all of God. We're going to spend all of eternity being shown the riches of his grace and his kindness, and that goes for all of his other attributes too. We're never going to stop learning about God. Right? How many of you have been to the Rocky Mountains? How many of you would say, I know all there is to know about the Rocky Mountains? I know every crack. I know every crevice. I know every tree. Right? That would be ridiculous. What if you spent your entire life doing nothing but traveling and hiking around the Rocky Mountains? Could you ever know all of that? No. Our brains couldn't hold it. God created that. And everything else. He's infinitely bigger than the Rocky Mountains. Now, back to our passage. Do you catch what Jesus says here? No one can know me because I'm like that. Fully. But my Father can because He's God. He can handle that. No one can know the Father because He's bigger than the Rocky Mountains. But I do. Who could fully know God the Father unless they were God, right? If He to know completely, infinitely, perfectly, intimately know the Father, you'd have to be God. Jesus says, I know him. I know him. Now, next Jesus says, no one's going to know the Father at all 
except anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal Him. All right. You want to know God? Here's where Jesus says, you got to come through me. No one knows the Father except the Son, that's Jesus, and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal God to. Jesus said this several different ways during his life. In John 14, 6, some of you can recite that, right? I am the... I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Same thing he says right here. 1 John 2.23, everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. The person who confesses the Son has the Father also. This is a really common criticism of Christianity. How dare those arrogant Christians claim that they have the only way They ignore all these other ways to God, right? They act like what Christians, Christians take religious hedge clippers and and cut away the other ways to God and try to leave only theirs as legitimate. Listen, there should be no way. There should be no way for any of us to know God and be found acceptable by God. No way is what would be fair and right and just. But God offered a way. And he told us, that way is Jesus. That way is Jesus. You know the the story of uh, Jacob's ladder? It's in Genesis. Jacob has this dream and he sees a staircase or a ladder and people going up and down to heaven on this ladder. In the book of John, John tells a couple of the disciples, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see people going up and down from heaven on me. I'm the ladder. I'm the way. Nobody gets there except through me. I understand that can be offensive. The the question is not whether or not it's offensive or fair. It's is 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 it true? And we cannot accept Jesus' teaching and try to cut this stuff out. Jesus is not just a good teacher if he said this stuff. He either is the only way or we can throw out everything. Because he said over and over and over. He is, all right? So by this point, we have enough information to know I need to respond positively to God's invitation because doom, woe, awaits those who don't. Part of that, the first step in RSVPing to God's invitation is understanding my helplessness, being like a little child. There's the repentance, by the way, that Jesus talked about. I have to change my mind that I can do anything about my eternal salvation on my own. I have to change my mind about that. That's repentance. I have to accept my helplessness. And once I accept my helplessness, when I turn from my righteousness, my morality to save me, when I turn from my good works, my religious deeds, my whatever, as I repent from that, because I'm helpless, I better make sure I turn toward the right ladder. That's Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the only invitation that will work. If you get a, a, an invitation in the mail, uh, Casey Bubak got married last night. I don't even know if she did this. I did, I'm the preacher. They don't send preachers invitations. I don't know. But if you have to RSVP and I want to go to that wedding, I can't take 
an RSVP from Brooke's wedding and send it to the boo box. And exp- they're going to look at that and go, what is this? Right? You, have to, you have to use the correct RSVP. You can't use any RSVP toward any other party if you want a place reserved for you. And Jesus says today, you need to RSVP. You better understand you are helpless without the right one, and I'm the right one. You got that so far? Good. I'm glad we had this talk, because all of that was the setup for the invitation. After that, we're ready to hear the beautiful invitation. Oh, wait a minute. That's not the beautiful invitation. That's two cows. There's the beautiful invitation. We'll get there in a second. All right. We're ready to understand this beautiful invitation in verses 28 through 30. Here's what Jesus just said. No one can know the Father unless I reveal him to you. Here's the $64,000 question. Who will Jesus reveal the Father to? He just said, you're not going to know the Father unless I reveal him to you. Who will he reveal the Father to? Come to me, who? All. Anyone who comes to him, he will reveal the Father to. I want to read this again just because I love it so much. Come to me, Jesus said. He's just said, you've got RSVP. You better understand your helplessness. And you better understand I'm the only way. And if you're offended, don't miss this part. Just come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Man, do I love that. Jesus says, come to me, anybody who's weary and burdened. Who is that? Don't take this out of its context. Who are the ones who are weary and heavy burdened based on what Jesus has been talking about? It's not just the people who were up too late last night or who rode a bicycle from Scott's Bluff, right? Excuse me, from Ogallala, not Scott's Bluff. Who's the weary and heavy burdened in this context? You know who it is? It's the people who've been trying to get to God without RSVPing through Jesus. Trying to to use my own self-discipline, my own morality, my own integrity, my own goodness to get to God. He says, come to me. That's got to be exhausting. It is exhausting. Here's how it works. Oh, man, I got to straighten my life up. I hit rock bottom. I got to do better. I got to be better. I'm going to try harder. So I'm going to stop this. I'm going to quit that. I'm going to do better. But if I'm honest with myself, I fail and I sin. And then I go, oh no, I bet God hates me again. God doesn't like me as good now as he did before I did that thing. So I'm going to try harder. What can I do to make that up? All right, I'm going to be better. I'm going to quit that. Now I'm going to start doing some good stuff. I'm going to go to church, right? And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to help little old ladies across the street. And I'm going to try to teach something. And I'm going to do that. Oh, man, I just failed again. Now God hates me. But I'm doing as much as I can do. I don't think I can do anymore. It's exhausting. Or we just get to be self-deceivers. 
where I just try to find other people who are worse than me. And I, if I find enough of your faults, it makes, maybe it makes me feel better about me. And maybe God accepts me if I'm better than you. And I got a whole list of things I can't stand about you. So I must be doing okay. But one way or another, we wind up on the hamster wheel of human righteousness. It's a stair climber. I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying. I fail and oh no, and God hates me. And what can I do? You know what Jesus says? Stop. Come to me. Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you, aren't you tired of the stair climber? You work and you work and you work and you're not getting anywhere and you know it. Stop trying to do what you have zero ability to do. Stop trying to earn what you can't possibly earn. Stop trying to achieve what you'll never achieve. And just come to me. And here's a very underrated word in that passage. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened from that, and I will what? Give you rest. If you're a Bible underliner, underline the word give. I will give you what you can't earn. You're trying to earn something you can't earn. If you come to me, I'll give it to you. I'll give you rest, real rest. Rest from the hamster wheel stair climber of human righteousness. I'll give you peace and a real hope that won't fail and you can know that you're good with God. I will reveal him to you and you to him. I will lift off of your shoulders the impossible burden of acceptability with God. If you're found in me, the Father will accept you. And I'll take anyone who is humble enough to admit their need for me. For me, Jesus says. That's salvation. That's being saved. Yes, it's being saved from eternal punishment. Yes, it's being saved from God's wrath. But it's being saved right now, today, from that idea that he can't accept me, that I'm not good enough, that I failed too much. Jesus says, I will give you, you know what you want? You want to feel like God's okay with you, God accepts you, that you're going to go to heaven when you die, that you're not going to be punished for everything you've done wrong. That's what you want. I'll give that to you. There's rest in that. And anyone who comes to Jesus, he will accept. And then in John 6, Jesus says this, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. But he's not done. That's the invitation is come to me and I'll give you rest from that. But look what he says next. Verse 29, take my yoke on you. Does that sound like rest? What's a yoke for? A yoke's for work, right? The yoke is the thing between those two bovines on the screen. And the farmer hooked two ox, oxen, right? Two donkeys, two mules, his kids, whatever. (laughs) He hooked two of them together to double the amount of work that could be done, right? A yoke is not for rest. Nobody puts a yoke on to kick back and watch the game, right? So is Jesus speaking out of both sides of his mouth here? 
He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Put my yoke on, though, when you get here. Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? No. He says, I will give you rest from the impossible workload you are trying to do. The stair climber, the hamster wheel, where you work and work and work and work and you can't get anywhere. I will take that away from you. I'll give you the rest you really want. But then I'll put you to work. But it'll be something you can actually do. Jesus, Jesus wanted fishermen. He wanted workers. Work is good. Right when the world was perfect, God gave Adam and Eve work. Right? Heaven is not the rest is not the absence of work. Heaven is not the absence of work. But Jesus gives us takes away the impossible task and gives us something possible, doable, and good. Look at what he says. Take my yoke on you. Take off that impossible yoke of pleasing God through your own behavior. Then I'll give you rest. Then you take my yoke and put it on you. And learn from me. What's that sound like? Being a, being a disciple. Once you come to me, don't just take my rest and go back doing what you've always been doing. I want you to take my yoke on you. Learn from me. Become my disciple. I'm not like that other yoke. I'm gentle. I'm humble, which means I'm, I'm others focused. And I love this. Work for Jesus and you will find what? More rest. Come to me. I'll give you that rest you're really looking for, the acceptability, the stuff that I'll give you what you can never earn. Come to work for me. Be my disciple. And as you work for me, yes, it's work. Yes, it will not be easy. It will be hard. But as you work for me, you'll find more rest that you wouldn't have found if you didn't work for me. For my yoke is easy to bear. My load is not hard to carry. Let me tie this together. First, where are you at with God's invitation? Have you ever responded to God directly? Have you ever just thought, you know what, I'll be okay. I've never really dealt directly with God. He's kind of scary. I don't really like to pray. But, you know, I go to church. I was baptized. I did this. I did that. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm better than most of the Christians I know. Have you ever responded Directly. Because that's important. You have to understand that before God, you are helpless as a baby as far as surviving in eternity. And you have to come to Jesus and ask him, will you save me? And he, and he will. That's what this is about. So maybe that's where you're at this morning. You've never responded to the invitation. Today's your day to do it. You just do it by faith. I believe in you. I've never asked you to do this, Lord Jesus. Will you save me? I'm coming to you to be saved. Maybe, though, you've made it that far. You have the rest that's been given to you eternally. And maybe you're stuck right here in verse 29 and verse 30. Here's what that looks like. Oh, yeah, Jesus saved me eternally. Are, did you put on his yoke? Are you working for Jesus? Are you only work for you? It's possible 
we can spend all our time building our kingdom, right? Making as much money as I can, have as much fun, I, fun as I can, one trip to the next, whatever it is. Here's what we miss out. I'm not saying that when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, oh, you didn't work enough for me. You're out of the pool. You know what you're missing? Rest for your soul. Rest for your soul that you don't get unless you work for Jesus. Here's the way it works. You know what I want to do this afternoon when we get done? I've had a long week. You know what I want to do? I want to go eat about 12,000 grams of saturated fat at potluck here, and I want to go home and go to sleep. That's what I want to do. But a little mentally handicapped girl rode up on her bike out here and said, I need some help. And somebody told me, your church has a thing called Helping Hands. Will you help me move? Listen, I'm going to give up a nap. Don't tell anybody this, but I'll whisper it. I don't want to help her move. But I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to be a little bit begrudging. And since I've said this, I probably won't be, but this is the way it usually works. I'm a little bit begrudging. I really don't want to go, but then I'll go and I'll help her and she'll thank me and maybe I'll be able to share the gospel with her or something like that. And some point in the middle, I'll say, Lord, thank you for bringing me along. My heart wasn't right. I didn't want to do this, but you saw fit to let me do something for you. I went to work for you and my soul feels good. You know what that is? That's rest in my soul. It was not the difference between me going to heaven and going to hell. There's rest in my soul that I would have missed had I not gone to work for Jesus this afternoon. And I am not trying to guilt you into helping a little girl move today. But what I am telling you is there is rest for your soul that comes from working for a gentle, humble Savior. Here's the whole invitation. Stop trying to work your way to heaven. You can't get there. Come to me, believe by faith, accept my invitation, and I'll give you the rest you've really been looking for. But then, let's go to work. Come to work for me. It'll be a beautiful adventure between now and when you enter into your final rest. See what, let's, let me see what I can do through you for my kingdom. And I promise you there will be periods where you'll say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be a part of what you are doing. Thank you for the rest and the peace. Sometimes, you know what that is? I wouldn't have done this if I wasn't really a believer and really saved. (laughs) All right, that's the sermon for this morning. You can pack up and zip the little zippers and do all that stuff that usually happens during this time. And now what we're going to do, and and Stephanie's going to go ahead and come forward here. Now we come to to this table, and I want to explain what what I want you to do, what I invite you to do around this table with the Lord. First, I want you to take care of the business you need to take care of as the bread comes around. If you have never responded to God's invitation... While while Stephanie's singing a song that just says, Come as you are, he will let anybody who comes to him come to me all. You are weary. I'll give you rest. You can take care of that today. 
Lord Jesus, will you save me? I believe when you died on the cross, you died for me. My sins are taken care of. You are the invitation to which I want to RSVP. You can take care of that business today. Maybe you did that a long time ago. Maybe while the, just while the bread's coming around, you do a little soul search and a little conversation with the Lord. Am I wearing your yoke, Jesus? Do it. Do I work for you? I, I want you to show me the rest in my soul that I've been missing when I do stuff with you. That's what I want you to do while the, while the bread comes around and then we'll talk about what he did for us. Okay. As the guys come forward, Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for that beautiful invitation come to you who are weary thank you that you will give us what we cannot earn thank you for the invitation to work with you alongside you to minister in your name stuff that we actually can do thank you that the weight of the world and the weight of our eternity is off our shoulders in you thank you that you saved us to do the works you had for us from the foundations of the world God I just pray you'd be with folks here as they come come to you during this few minutes here in Jesus name Amen